this morning. What do you need? One of the outlines? There you go. We're going to get started this morning, and so if you would, take the outline that you have, and we're, we're going through this series that we started last week on unpacking the Christian life, and you know, as we, as we get saved and we begin the Christian life, understand that there's a lot of things that, that uh, some are things are misunderstandings in our life as a Christian. Some things are things that we're still learning as we grow in the Lord. And uh, today we're going to take a look at, at really the person about Jesus. That's why I picked that song this morning to sing, Let's Talk About Jesus. Uh, that's what this world needs. I know this, that I have, I've in, encountered many things in my life, and the, the one answer to every problem in life is still the Lord. Jesus can help us in every situation, and I hope this morning that you're letting the Lord be Lord in your life. And uh, that sounds like a quaint uh, little cliche this morning, but we need to let the Lord be the Lord. And today I want to talk to you about, I titled it this way, The Real Jesus. And hopefully you'll see that as we go through the lesson this morning. But as I was studying, I began to think back to, and I, a lot of times when I'm reading my Bible, I like to do this. I like to think back historically, especially during the times of the gospel records, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, how the world was when Jesus was on this, on this earth. And as I, I was thinking back, I was thinking, of course, in the days of Christ, that Jerusalem was a city that was under, under Roman occupation. Uh, the Roman, Roman government was one that was, if I could put it this way, they were begrudgingly tolerating the Jewish way of life and the way that they worshipped. Uh, they just... Like even in the Old Testament with Moses and how he was trying to leave Egypt's land, and you even saw some of the similar things with Pharaoh, how that's kind of the way probably some of your coworkers are to you. They kind of just begrudgingly tolerate. Uh, they know you're a Christian, but they don't want anything to do with it. That's kind of the way the world is. But in the days of Christ, we find that's exactly what was going on, and and, and the, the, the Roman government really didn't want anything to do with the Jewish way of life or the way Jews worshiped. Here's the birthday girl right here. Happy birthday this week, Janeth. Happy birthday to you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we're praying for Greg. I heard he's not feeling well. So uh, appreciate your help this morning. So, you know, again, when you think about why was the Romans' attitude this way? Well, they were the world power at that time. And, and we find that there were, in the days of Christ, there were, like today, there were a lot of religious leaders. Uh, there was a lot of uh, laws of, of the land, even not just God's laws, but the laws of the land. And there definitely was a power struggle. Even outside the confines of the scripture, if you go historically, you find that there was one world power that, that was in place and then another one overthrew that and became the world power, and then another one after that, and so on. You, you saw that it came down to when Jesus came into this world. The Bible says in Galatians 4, 4, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son into the world. So think about that. God chose the specific time and place to send his son into this world, and it was a time where there was a lot of religious leaders and the, the common people of the day, if I can put it that way, that's, that's the way I look at myself, just the common people of the days of Christ, they were being oppressed religiously. Uh, they were struggling because 
They just wanted to worship the Lord, but again, they were under Roman dominance. And it, Rome wanted this dominance. The Jewish rulers wanted control of Israel. But listen, you know what the Jewish people wanted? The Jewish people wanted freedom from both. They, they wanted freedom from being dominated by a world power, and they wanted freedom from being under the control of even the religious leaders of their day. Now, that's kind of a, a, a little snapshot of what was going on in the days of Christ, but here's the, here's the best thought, is in spite of all that was going on, then came Jesus. I mean, you know, if you take any situation and you add Jesus to that situation, everything changes. Let me say that again. No matter what's going on in your life, no matter what you're facing, no, listen, in our day, no matter who's in the White House, no matter what, what the dictator in North Korea is doing, if you add Jesus to any of those situations, everything changes. And that's exactly what happened when God sent forth His Son. Notice a couple things about Jesus this morning. And listen, we understand now having the entire Word of God that we don't look at it this way. But notice, first of all, to, to them, He was an unexpected Savior. He was an unexpected Savior. Look, Jesus wasn't no ordinary, regular man. As a matter of fact, He was supernatural. He was God in the flesh. The Bible tells us in 1 Timothy 3.16, without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. Now look how the Bible describes this. Look at God was manifest or He was revealed, He was seen in the flesh, He was justified in the Spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. Boy, if you follow 1 Timothy 3.16, you know what you find is, is the entire uh, process of God sending His Son into this world, everything that He went through, and then He was received up into glory, and today He's sitting at the right hand of the Father. See, we find here that Jesus was no ordinary man, but while He was on this earth, I think all of us know that Jesus grew up in what we would call relative poverty. I mean, Mary and Joseph didn't have a lot of things. Matter of fact, when they went and they, they offered the, the animals for the time of the Passover, uh, they didn't even have a lamb to offer. Uh, the, 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 uh, the gifts that they were given, the gold, frankincense, and myrrh at the birth of Christ, they even used those gifts, many believe, to, to, to support them as they traveled uh, in the days of Christ when he was born as they were moving around a few times. And so Jesus comes and he lives somewhat in poverty. And if you study the Word of God, there's really not much said about his early life. He was subject unto his parents, meaning that the Bible really kind of helps us understand he really lived in obscurity. We don't know a lot. We can speculate, but outside of the Scriptures, I can't be uh, dogmatic about how Jesus lived. But one thing we do know is he grew up in the home of a carpenter. Jesus learned a trade. He learned how to work with his hands. Maybe he learned real le lessons in life. But at the age of 30, when you study the scriptures, here's what Jesus does. He stepped onto the world stage. Jesus stepped out of obscurity. Now, we understand that God sent a man, John the Baptist, who was the forerunner of Christ, and John was preparing the way for the coming of Christ. Jesus was already on this earth when John's ministry was going but as John got closer to the end of his ministry, 
then Jesus now steps to the forefront, and we find here that Jesus now begins his ministry, and when he did, this is the great thing, he, did, he wasn't a world power. He didn't have some big army behind him. Jesus single-handedly, by himself, captivated this world. I mean, there was, there was just something about Jesus. You know, there was never a man before him that was like him at all. I mean, the Bible says, no, never a man spake like this man. He wasn't an ordinary, regular man. Notice for a couple things about him as an unexpected Savior. His teachings were profound. Everything Jesus said, people hung on his every word. They were captivated uh, for hours many times as he spoke. The, uh, you know, he, look, Jesus as God, he knew God's word like like no other religious authority of the day. You remember, I love, I love that passage when Jesus was 12 years old, he was sitting among the doctors, the theologians of the day. And the Bible says he was hearing them, but then he began to ask them, and even the religious leaders of the day, they're thinking, where does this kid get this knowledge from? I mean, he's beyond his years. Yeah, he is. You know why? Because... He's the eternal God. He is the, the incarnate Word of God. Jesus knows every last bit of the Word of God. You know why? Because He is the Word of God. And he, the Bible says there in Mark 1, they were astonished at His doctrine. He taught them as one that had authority, and notice this, and not as the scribes. I mean, listen, those, those men had been educated maybe under the feet of Gamaliel, Maybe they've been educated under the, some of the greatest rabbis of the day. But Jesus was a man whose teaching was profound. Notice, secondly, his works were powerful. Jesus performed countless miracles in front of them, things that no one could explain how they happened. I mean, they tried to figure it out. They tried to understand. But the one thing that they understood was, this man named Jesus, he was gaining in popularity. And think about this. He was gaining in popularity in a day where there was no social media. It was, a, it was in a day where it was by word of mouth. Hey, have you heard what this Jesus did? Were you there? Did you see the miracle? This person couldn't walk, and now they're walking. This person couldn't hear, and now they can hear everything. This person spent his life blind, but now he can see everything. I don't understand how this happens. And the Bible says in Mark 14, 14, Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion toward them, and he healed their sick. Now, look, there was, this was in a day where there were, listen, just like in our day, there were a lot of religious leaders of the day. And if these people really had the power to do something, guess what? Many times they never did anything to help someone that had an infirmity, somebody that had uh, maybe, maybe a deformity or something like that. But everywhere Jesus went, every person he came into contact with, Jesus touched their lives. He made a huge difference in their life. And, and they just, they had never seen something like this because to them, he was an unexpected savior. His teaching was profound. His works were powerful. Look at number three, or letter C, his love was perfect. Jesus exceeded all their expectations. 
I mean, you know what religion would have done to Jesus back in that day? Same thing it's doing to people today. Religion would have confined him. Uh, Religion would have been something that defined him. But Jesus loved even the worst of humanity. Look, Jesus loved people that had nothing that they could offer. Now think about that. I hope you're not that way. I believe if we're going to be like Jesus, we should love people that can't do anything for us. That's the way we need to be. Jesus loved those people. He accepted everyone that he came into contact with. The Bible says to the uttermost. doesn't matter who you are, what your background is. Jesus loved everyone. His love was perfect. He identified most with those that had the least to offer him. Jesus was criticized. Why? Because he received sinners. And he sat down and he ate with them. Now, that, that was just uncommon and, and really, honestly, most of the time looked upon as, as something that, look, someone just does not do. But yet Jesus looked beyond that and, and he spent time with people that even the re- religious leaders of the day wouldn't spend time with. Look at John 13, 1. Before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew the hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, and you know, most of us, if we knew we were that close to death's door, we'd be thinking about, you know, what can I do and, and uh, how can I squeeze the most out of my life knowing I only have so much time. But the Bible says when Jesus got to that place, it says, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. Jesus never stopped loving people. I've known a lot of great Christians over the years, and, I, and I've I've. I've I have personally known their story that as they got closer and closer to death, it wasn't, you know, hey, what can I still do while I'm still in this world? It was, I'm just going to continue to reach out to people, to love people, to tell people about Jesus to the very end. You know what that tells me? They loved others the way Jesus did to the very end. And people just could not understand that. And he was unexpected to to them because of his teachings and the works that he did, the love that he had. Look at letter D. His claims to them were pugnacious. Uh, His claims were pugnacious, meaning that, that everything Jesus did, it opposed them. It rubbed them in the wrong way. Jesus faced a lot of opposition in his day. Would you not agree? And when Jesus faced that opposition, look here. Jesus didn't turn and run from it. He boldly faced the opposition. And I think that's one of the things that I I love about our Lord is that in spite of the um, pressure of the day to fit in, Jesus never embraced the man-made religious systems of the day. He never said, hey, you know, it's like sometimes I'm out and I talk to people as we're going from house to house, and somebody might tell me they, they attend such and such of a church. And uh, folks, listen, you know there's a lot of false religion in the world today. If somebody tells me that they're attending one of those false churches, false religions, I don't say to them, well, that's great that you go there. Now, I don't chastise them. I don't, I don't, I don't make them feel poorly about going there. But what I'm trying to do is, is to help them understand what the truth is, help them understand who Jesus is, how that he can change their life. And Jesus was one that he, listen, as he loved people, he didn't buy into the religious systems of the day. He actually, when he got around those religious leaders, here's what he did do to them, was he rebuked them 
for their hypocrisy. He rebuked those religious leaders of the day because they were, they were being legalistic towards people. Uh, look at this example here in Luke 11. Then answered one of the lawyers, this is one of the doctors of the law, and said, Master, thus saying, uh, thus saying thou reproachest us also. And he said, Woe unto you also, ye lawyers, for ye laid men with burdens grievous to be born, and ye yourselves touch not the burdens with one of your fingers. Now, do you understand what he's saying there? He's saying, look, you're asking people to do things that you yourself are not willing to do. Why are you putting these heavy, notice how he describes it, burdens. Why are you putting these things on people? You know what Jesus does? He lightens our load. Jesus said, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you what? Rest. But listen, the religious leaders of the day, they weren't trying to lighten people's loads. They weren't trying to help people. Matter of fact, they were making it more difficult for people to live a certain way and, and to be accepted in the religious systems of the day. And look, and because Jesus faced off with those religious leaders of the day, you know how they viewed Jesus? Now, not the people at this time. The religious leaders, they viewed Jesus as a renegade. This guy that, that, that's trying to subvert their laws and their teachings or their ways. And so they looked at Jesus as someone who was trying to lead the people away from them. Can you see in the days of Christ there was a definite power struggle? And that was what was going on. And this is why they hated him. Matter of fact, this is why they plotted against him. This is why eventually they put him to death. Now, we understand that man did that. They, the, the people cried out, crucify him, and that's exactly what they did. But we also understand that nothing happens with, without God allowing it to happen. You see, it was always God's plan that he would send a Savior into this world, and Jesus came to take away the sins of the world. So look, as Jesus came, the real Jesus, not some false Jesus, some uh, some, some antichrist, but the real Christ, he, to the people he was an unexpected savior. Notice number two, because they killed him, because they plotted against him, notice we see unrealized dream, an unrealized dream. For three and a half years, Jesus ministered on the earth. And as Jesus was ministering on the earth, listen, what he was sharing with people was life. He was sharing with them how that, that in spite of all the problems in life, that there is one that they can go to with every care, every worry that they have. But Jesus eventually was captured. We know the scriptures. He was beaten. He was tortured. He was tried falsely, and he was eventually crucified. And you, you think about this. Those people that when Jesus first came on the scene and he was doing those many mighty miracles, boy, all the people were like, hey, we're for Jesus, uh, we want to be with Jesus. But isn't it interesting how even the opinion of the people turned on a dime? The, the, even the people thought, well, listen, and here's why, because they wanted someone to release them from being oppressed by the Roman government. Are you with me this morning? So think about this. They thought Jesus was going to be that person. Now, Jesus didn't come to establish his kingdom at that time, he came 
to seek and save that which was lost. He came to give his life that they could have eternal life. But as you think about this, Rome was one that, that really put Jesus on the cross. Uh, they were the ones that were in control. The Bible says in John 19, verse 30, look at that in your notes there. When Jesus had received the vinegar, he said, notice this was his words, not man's words. He said, it is finished, and he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. When Jesus hung on the cross, he took his last breath, and the Bible tells us that there was something interesting that happened back in the temple. The Bible says the veil that, 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 that actually separated the holiest from the rest of the temple, the veil was rent in two, in twain. And we all understand the significance of that is that because of what Jesus did, Jesus made it possible, he gave us access directly to God. Doesn't that excite you this morning, thinking about the fact that we don't have to go to some priest, we can go straight to God because of what Jesus did for us. And I think about how, you know, they thought, well, listen, we thought Jesus was going to be the one to deliver us, and yet he's dead. You know what Jesus did? He became the sacrifice. Honestly, he became the high priest for all of mankind. See, every year, once a year, the high priest in the Old Testament would take the blood and he would go in and atone, make an atonement for the sins of the people. But Jesus went in and atoned for our sins. He was the payment that God required, Jesus atoned for the sins of all people forever. Look what the Bible says in Hebrews 10, 12. It says, this man, after that he had offered one sacrifice for what? For sins, for how long? Forever. Sat down on the right hand of God. Now look, do you really understand the, the full ramification of that verse you just read in the book of Hebrews? That Jesus, how many times did he have to die for the sins of the world? One time, right? And listen, how long is Jesus' blood good for? Forever. Now, look, if we cut ourselves, and, and I've done that many times, it seems like every time I do some work, I've got to cut myself to prove to my wife that I was doing some work, all right? But when I cut myself, guess what happens? You bleed. And unless you're on a blood thinner, most of the time what happens is, is that you end up with a scab, right? Because your blood begins to dry up. Well, think about this. Jesus' blood is efficacious. The blood of Jesus Christ will never dry up. Oh, the blood of Jesus, that, that fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. When sinners plunge beneath that flood, loose all their guilty stains. Listen, Jesus' blood covers sin today like it did 2,000 years ago. See, they were thinking about, well, listen, how is this man going to help us now that he's dead? See, he was an unexpected Savior, but he, there was an unrealized dream. And the Bible says there is, as, as it was during the time that Jesus was on the cross, that there were a lot of people kind of in this valley of indecision because they were looking to Jesus. They thought he was the one. And the Bible records that there was even a centurion that was standing there at the foot of the cross. And look what it says in Matthew 27 in verse 54. When the centurion and they that were with him, watching Jesus, saw the earthquake 
and those things that were done, they feared greatly saying, truly, or we agree that this was the Son of God. I mean, there were some in that day as the crowd began to disperse and the show was over. Look, there were some standing there that, that says, listen, might not have been exactly how we would have figured it or planned it, but this man really was the Son of God. But see, the Jews were still struggling. You know why? Because in spite of the fact that Jesus came and he gave his life, guess what? When Jesus died, they were still under Roman rule. Nothing had changed on the earth. And so I want you to notice, number three, the unbelieving followers. Because, you, you, you know, look, we've read many times in the gospel records, you get to the end of the, the gospels, and many of them talk about how, and I think we'd be the same way, that they had been followers of Jesus. They had spent three years, or maybe a little bit less than three years with Jesus, and they, they had been associated with this one named Jesus Christ of Nazareth, and now he had been crucified. Now, guess what they're doing? Most of them are hiding for their lives. Most of them realize that if they kill Jesus, guess who they're coming after next? Me. And that's why you see many of them with this matter of unbelief. His followers, uh, we know we studied the Gospels, they, they requested his body. Uh, look, it was a time where just like they would do in the, under the Jewish customs, they prepared his body for burial. They even placed his body in a borrowed tomb, a donated tomb. And, and as they were doing that, I think that as they prepared those spices, here's what I think. I think during those times, they began to remember the love that he had for people. I think as they were preparing his body, that they began to think back over some of those miracles that Jesus performed. As they were going through this time, they probably began to think about some of the teachings. Remember, never a man spake like this man. Never, never a man taught the people the way Jesus taught the people. And perhaps they wanted to believe what he said was going, when he was going away and how he told them, look, we don't understand it. How can you go away? How can you die and come back? We've never seen that before. And all these thoughts are going through their mind. Look at Mark 8, 31. He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. Now, look, it seemed like a hopeless situation. Jesus had truly been put to death, and it, this was a present painful reality. I mean, we saw somebody take him down from the cross. We saw them put him into the tomb. We saw, saw the stone being rolled in front of that tomb, and, and all of this, it wasn't supposed to happen this way, but guess what? On the third day, everything changed. Up from the grave he arose, right? The Bible says here in, in Matthew 28, 6, He's not here, he is risen as he said. Come see the place where the Lord lay. And you know the story, the women went uh, that morning at, at dawn, the dawning of the third day, and uh, they met an angel there, and Jesus then, he appeared to those women, and after that, Jesus appeared to some of his disciples after he had risen. You know how, uh, listen, Jesus appeared to the, to the ten disciples, and, and then Thomas showed up, and they're like, Thomas, you should have been here. Jesus came. 
And remember, Thomas said, except I see. And then Jesus, listen, came back and appeared to the 11, including Thomas. And remember Thomas's famous statement, my Lord and my God. Thomas realized, uh, even Peter, uh, remember, remember what Peter did after Jesus had been crucified and had, 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 uh, had, had risen? What did Peter say? He says, I'm going fishing. Remember that one? Peter says, look, I just, I don't think it's, it was what I thought it was going to be. Peter says, I've still got my tackle. I, I still know how to fish. I think I'll just go back to my old life. Isn't it sad when Peter made that decision that he didn't go by himself, other people went with him. Anytime somebody's going to backslide, get away from Jesus, guess what? It's no fun to sin alone. You know, people drag other people into it. And so what does Peter do? Peter goes back to the shores of Galilee. He goes back to the sea, back to his old life. And here's what happens. Remember, Jesus came to them. And Jesus told them, he says, hey, have you caught anything? They've been fishing all night, right? Jesus tells them, well, cast your nets on the other side. And, and, and all of a sudden, Peter thinks, wait a minute. I know that voice. That's a familiar voice. And we find here that, that Peter hears this voice and all hope comes back. You know, just as Jesus said, his life wasn't over. The dream was still alive. And, and so as Peter comes to the Lord, what's Jesus doing? I mean, here they are they're catching fish. Jesus has already got fish on the fire. Where did he get those fish from? The Bible doesn't tell us, you know. But he's the Lord, right? Isn't it interesting when you read, a lot of times we read our Bible, I think there was an awkward silence as Peter and the disciples came and they were sitting there eating the fish by the fire with the Lord. Don't you think that they were probably looking at Jesus? And here's probably what they're thinking. They're thinking about all the doubt that they had in their minds and in their hearts. They're probably thinking, Peter's probably thinking about how when he denied the Lord. They're probably thinking about all their failures. And here they are, unbelieving followers. You know, they, they, they were really probably the way I would have been. They were probably expecting the Lord to lecture them. They were probably expecting some sort of chastisement. But you know what they got? They got love from Jesus. He loved them. In spite of all that they had done, Jesus broke that silence. And, and, and I gave you those verses at the beginning of our outline today. Remember where Jesus asked Peter three times. And, and again, I know it, it says, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? But I have to believe, even though he used the name Peter and he was talking to Peter, those other disciples were right there and they were listening to the very same question. Here he is. He's right there before them. Somebody said Peter's belief collided with his behavior. And I love the thought this morning that grace chooses belief and forgives behavior. You know what grace is? Grace is God. Notice fourthly this morning, an unbelievable grace. Aren't you glad this morning for the grace of God? I mean, where would we be without God's grace? When I think about grace, you know who I think about? I think about Jesus. 
You know, he might have been unexpected to them, and they might have struggled with the dream being gone when he was crucified. And in their hearts, they were, there was a lot of unbelief going on, but Jesus accepts their belief. He forgives their behavior. Look, he allows us, just like he did his disciples, he allows us to begin again. I'm glad that God gives us an opportunity. Belief trumped behavior. Grace trumped the law. See, just like Peter that day and even those other disciples, many times we are a broken people. But you know what God does in our brokenness? He reaches out to us. See, that's the way they were. They didn't know what they would do in the days ahead. Without Jesus, they didn't even know if they would be alive. But he comes to them. He restores their hope. See, this is the real Jesus. The grace of God was evident. He's the one that comes to us in the middle of our failure. And just like Peter and those disciples, you know what he says? He says to us today, love me. Do you love me? He says to us, trust me. Do you trust me? He says to us, follow me. Are you following him? See, the very same things that I see, God's grace is extended to us, just like it was to Peter. And, and look, we cannot give up. Sometimes when we face things in life, unexpected things, look, don't give up on the Lord. Don't give up on what the Lord has brought into your heart, the changes that God has made. Don't lose the wonder of who Jesus really is. I mean, listen, folks. I've just never got over the fact of what Jesus is, who he is, and what he means to me. And I hope you're the same way. We, we need to move from trying to trusting. Somebody said uh, that Jesus can help us in, in a daily resting relationship where the doing flows from loving and all the serving flows from growing in his grace. We need to have that real relationship with Jesus, the real Jesus, that motivates us to grow with him and to grow in him and to grow through him. And Jesus isn't some religious system, and I think that's what his disciples found out. He's not some tradition. Jesus is a person. He, he, he oversees and supersedes the laws and the standards of the day. He's not some uh, system of regulations. He is the intimate God who loves us in spite of everything that we have in our hearts at times. Jesus truly is amazing. You know why? Because Jesus is God. Jesus is God. And Jesus is alive. And what this world needs today is they need the real Jesus. We need to help people to understand who he really is. You see, so many times we don't understand things, but can I tell you that our beliefs determine our behavior? What you believe about Jesus is going to determine how you live your life as a Christian. Next week, we're going to take a look one step further in Sunday school. We're going to look at when Jesus and the Word of God actually describes the first century believers as Christians, what it meant to be a believer in the first century. And folks, I'm going to tell you, I don't believe it's changed from the first century to the 21st century. And so we need to be Christians in this day and hour that we live in. And so, Lord bless you this morning. We're going to get started here in about uh, 15 minutes with our service. Brother Webster, happy birthday. Happy birthday to you. How old are you?